0: If you already at your seats, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to try to finish this next sequence in this series on fellowship. Lord willing. Acts 2. And let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you again that in Christ we are baptized into, placed into the body of Christ. And as we have been studying biblical fellowship, uh, in many ways it's been challenging because uh, this idea of church and this word fellowship uh, just has so many varied meanings and things that we've picked up, maybe things we've even experienced good or bad in the context of church. And and our desire is to honor you and, and be obedient. To your word and in, in what fellowship is and what it is not, and so as we uh, open your word, we ask once again that through your Holy Spirit, uh, not only would you um, help us to understand it, but then Lord, uh, help us to apply it, to be doers of your word, to to be willing, to be corrected, to receive correction and rebuke from your word, and then uh, to confess and, and if necessary, to repent, to to turn from attitudes and actions that have not been in accord with your word, and and to walk in newness of life, even in fellowship, even if we've been in the church for decades, uh, it's amazing that we can walk in newness of fellowship uh, as we appropriate your word. And in that walking, we are transformed. So, Lord, take this time and, and accomplish your will and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you know that uh, Tyler and Bill and I, we, we participated in that organized ride yesterday, the Ojai Valley Century. And, uh, you know, we start here in downtown and we go out to Carpinteria, uh, Carpinteria, Montecito and loop all the way around down Ventura, Santa Paula and drop back in here. So it's about a little over 100 miles. And uh, and I was I was thinking of that in, in terms of our walk with the Lord because, uh, you know, when I started, when, when these guys first convinced me to do this, you know, way back in January, I'm like, you know, you're debating and then you, and then you sort of uh, pull the trigger and, and you say, okay, I'm in. A- and initially, when I, when I wanted to do this thing, it was, a, it was a, a private thing. It was an individual goal and I was going to be disciplined and I was going to accomplish this and I was going to make my own training schedule and I, 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 so that yesterday I could say I did this. Well, in the course of, of, you know, training and everything like that, you know, suddenly I was realizing there was this desire for them to make it a we. And and these guys, you know, honestly, one of the reasons I initially didn't want to make it a we was these two are much stronger than I am. Riders. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to hold you back. You know, oh, you know, you guys are so good. You did last year. And, and I, there was this sort of like uh, sort of insecurity, inferiority complex, you know, about Nah, I want to train with you guys. You're going to drive me into the ground. I'm not going to be able to keep up. And so uh, initially I was resistant, even to two guys that I've gotten to know and love dearly as brothers in the Lord and who wanted to help me accomplish this. I kind of wanted to do it by myself and and didn't really want to engage in in writing together once a week, you know, uh, for a variety of reasons. And And yet... You know, uh, I kind of said, "Okay, let's 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 do this," and and we began this this journey of Monday morning rides where we we built uh, mileage and and eventually was were able to complete it. But but I, I was thinking, you know, the tension and the struggles I was feeling to to do this ride, in many ways, mirrors even my own struggle and maybe yours in this idea of the pursuit of Christlikeness, where. We hear God and we hear His word says, Be holy, for I am holy, and be like Jesus, and, and everyone affirms that. And, and you even have that desire. How many have that desire this morning? Yes. When, when we cross the finish line, whenever that is, how many of you want to hear God say, Well done, good and faithful servant? How many, right? You want to go, Yes, I left it all out there. Yes, day to day I, was, I pursued sanctification. I was disciplined. I exercised myself unto godliness, right? And yet, many of us might be struggling with this idea that I'm going to do it by myself. And if I need help, I'll ask. But this is about me, and I want to do this. And and, and I think many of us might even struggle with the same thing. Oh, man. I can't keep up with that row spiritually. Spiritually. You know, even 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 going to a Delta group or a women's Bible study. Oh, I. Ah. How many have ever said I can't pray as good as so and so? I don't know the Bible as good as so and so, right? I don't I I don't know those words. Well, you know, I don't ride as fast as them. And and I I can't keep up when they go up the hills, and I, my bike's not even as good as theirs, right? And and all these reasons and justifications we have that 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 allow us to remain private, isolated, individualistic in our, in our approach, even to pursuing God. And, and in the end, it comes down to a choice that you and I have to make in our pursuit of Christlikeness, in our pursuit of holiness. This whole idea, then this whole study on fellowship, really, as is, is if you've been listening and if you've been allowing God to speak to your heart, He's probably saying... Okay, make a choice. Okay, make a choice. Because the vast majority, and you're going to see them again today, Scriptures that we've looked at, all have to do with we. There is a we-ness to being a part of the body of Christ that creates this tension inside each of us. (sighs) You know? And, and the good news, just, just a word of encouragement, something I learned even from this, you know, this has been a five-month journey for me. Because I grew up pretty much independent, just self-reliant, and didn't really need help, didn't even want help, because I was successful in my life. And I can honestly tell you, choosing to engage with these guys, choosing to work through the insecurities, choosing to not be able to keep up, Initially, in the end, because I chose to engage with others, my ability to ride a bike went far beyond what I would have been able to do on myself. You understand what I'm saying? Sure, I would have been able to do it, but by choosing to engage with others who would push me lovingly, who would encourage me, who would hold me accountable to the Monday ride, in the end, I know that when I crossed the finish line yesterday... I did it in such a way that was much greater, far beyond what I would have been able to do by myself. And I think that's why God puts us in the body of Christ. Sure, we understand we're saved. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Sure, we're pleasing positionally. And and when you get to heaven, He's still going to welcome you in. But the truth is, this word fellowship and being part of the body of Christ... Sort of means at the end, when you stand before the Lord, choosing to engage, you're probably going to be able to accomplish a whole lot more if you engage than if you would do it by yourself. And that's a choice you have to make. And that's why we're in the Word, because your choice isn't between me. See, sometimes the, the caution, I, I, the, the concern I have and the caution is like, oh, that's the pastor talking about fellowship because he wants us to do more around the church. Nah. Nah, you, all of you serve already. You, that's, not, that's not the heartbeat of this. My heart is that through the Scriptures you're understanding who you are in Christ, in the church as a whole, And then as part of the church as a whole, this church is just a part of the big church. And together, we all achieve God's kingdom goals in far greater ways than we could do individually. Amen? Amen? And that's that's the heart of this. So in Acts chapter 2, right, we've used these verses. The early church launches movement of God. 3,000 people are added. 3,000. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's 3,000, and then it just keeps going from there. Right? It's a powerful movement of God. It wasn't a one-off. This church kept growing and growing. And as I was thinking about the early church, I was like, Lord, why? It sounds so good on paper. What are some of the challenges we have to making this real? And part of the challenge we have to making this, these particular verses real is context. It happened in a very specific context with the supernatural work of God, and here's the key, that created a crisis situation. So so understand, this was uh, around Pentecost. Hundreds of thousands of people flow into Jerusalem from all around the world. Okay? 3,000 people get saved. In a few days, everyone's supposed to leave and go back home. But we don't know how many of that 3,000 weren't even from Jerusalem. So you potentially have a couple thousand who were supposed to be leaving, not leaving. Choosing to stay because they've been touched by God. So you could have potentially 2,000 people who have no more money because they only brought money for the pilgrimage. Their jobs are at home and they have nowhere to stay. You get the picture now? So, 3,000 people get touched by God. There's 3,000. The church is about 3,120 people initially, right? The disciples and the early apostles. Potentially hundreds, if not thousands of them, in a few short days are homeless, jobless, penniless. The church has to rally. And the church rallies. That's the context. People start selling things. Hey, come stay with me. You know, people open their homes. You've got 20, 30, 40, 50 people cramming into a house. Hey, I can sell this. Do you understand what's happening here? The context, the crisis in a good way, got people moving. Why is that challenging for us in American church slash culture? No crisis as a whole. So where's the need? Where's the mobilization? Now, what would happen if there was, you know, that movie San Andreas just came out, right? If there was a devastating earthquake, what would happen? We would mobilize. There would be a need. People would be giving things up in common. Hey, come. Your house got destroyed. Come stay with us. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? And so the challenge to this teaching on fellowship, because we're not in the context of this great crisis as a whole, as a society, as a culture, is well, but where's. I'm uh, comfortable. It goes against middle class American culture, which is what? Private property, private ownership, personal peace and affluence, leave me alone, right? And so what happens in the church is fellowship, this idea of holding things in common, this idea of active participation, becomes an add-on. Instead of a core value that, that, that brings life, because we're motivated daily by food and clothing and shelter and there's life and vibrancy, fellowship becomes optional, becomes a sidebar, becomes, well... Agape meal. Hmm. Honey, what was our menu for this week? Let me see if I could fit that agape meal in. Do you see? So, what happens in, 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 in our church culture is that needs become sort of the exception. And then, when the exception is announced, hmm, can we do that? Honey, but what does Veronica need? Hmm. Right? And, and I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to put it out there on the table that the early church, the church was birthed out of need. A common need. A common love. A common sharing. Right? And, and, and God did that on purpose to break down all the walls. He says, hey, believers, I'm doing a new thing. You're called the church. Love each other. Take care of each other. And that's going to speak volumes to the culture around you. The challenge for us in, in good old USA is, well, how far is it to Veronica's house? And what time does she want this? Because the basketball game starts on Thursday. You know, am I going to miss tip-off? Right. I mean, yeah. Right. I'm just confessing thoughts that go through my mind, you know, Veronica. Because Thursday it does start. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Can I drop it off before the ball tip off? I'll run over a commercial at (laughs) halftime. Can you wait? (laughs) Can you wait? Yeah, right? And and so we have this, 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 this kind of disconnect between Acts 2.42, which everyone goes, yeah, to 2015. Hmm. Hmm, fellowship, 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 fellowship. You know, my, my heart in this is that we're understanding that fellowship is part and parcel. It's inseparable from your relationship with God and it's inseparable from your relationship to a local body of believers. Amen? It comes with the deal. Okay, it's not even in the fine print. It's, it, it's not even, you know, if there was something you as a believer. It's not in the fine print. It's like in big bold letters. You are in fellowship as a Christian. you just are. you just are and and, and that that's my heartbeat with, with all of this. and so we've been going through a, a bit of a review, right? Look on your notes there and I, and, I, and I did this, right? So fellowship is born out of these physical felt needs, right? First John 3:16 says, "Hey, if you see a brother in need materially." You got to do something materially. Don't just don't just say, "Hey, brother, I'll pray for you." You know, First John three sixteen says we got to meet physical needs, spiritual needs. What are some of our commonalities, right? I mentioned salvation. First John four nineteen says, "Hey, you can't say I love God and hate your brother." You can't say I love God and hate your brother. You're in, right? Pursuit of holiness. First Peter says. Just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Right? So who here, as a believer, is called to be holy? Put them up high if you're a believer. No, keep them up and look around. Is it just you? Oh, yeah, that's right. Everyone around me is in the pursuit of holiness as well. Hmm. Right? Right? And then... Um, Let's turn to 1 Peter 5.8. What I'm trying to get you to do is, because we don't have this national or huge crisis right now, I'm trying to develop this sense of we through the Scriptures to help you understand the significance of fellowship. 1 Peter 5. Peter's writing to the church what he says. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Okay, so you might as well get used to this. How many of you are pursuing holiness? Okay. According to 1 Peter 5, 8, how many of you have an enemy? And who is the enemy? The devil. The word Satan means adversary. Okay, now, now look at this. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay, now, now, now you're going to raise your hand, but I'm going to put it in a certain word, a sentence that may make you a little bit... Mm. How many here have an enemy called the devil who wants to devour you? Now look around and go, Now you want company, huh, Tina? (laughs) Can you you sit a little closer to me? (laughs) (laughs) What's your phone number? Can I call you? If you're a believer, you have an enemy. And that enemy doesn't See, sometimes we, it's weird because how many of you sort of have minimized the devil's attitude towards you that he just doesn't like you? You're not on this Christmas card list. How many of you have ever taken the time to really meditate on the fact that the devil wants to destroy you? Destroy. Not mess with. Not make your life miserable. Not give you the flu. You know what I mean? Wants to devour You. If you're a believer, you have an enemy, an adversary who 24 7 devises ways, is thinking about how to devour you, your marriage, your kids. That's as true as hell. And maybe one day we'll do a series on the devil. Because you have to know your enemy. It would be good to know. But, but when it comes to fellowship and this idea of we, we all have an enemy, an adversary who wants to do nothing but destroy you. Not, not, not just mess with you. He wants to destroy you. Devour you. I mean, that's a powerful word. Devour. There should be a sense. There should be a healthy... Not, I'm not to be scared of him because we know who we are in Christ. But you gotta have a healthy respect that you have a literal enemy. Because everyone in here wants everyone to like them. Nobody in here wants to make enemies. You know, we all get bummed out when we find out oh, so and so doesn't like you. So and so doesn't like you anymore. They unfriended you. They unfriended me. (laughs) What did I do? Right? No, the devil wants to devour you. He wants to devour you. You know, if you watch National Geographic and all that kind of stuff, right? When, when the predators are hunting the prey, the herd, what do they try to do? They try to isolate one. When they attack, they, they want to bring confusion. Why? So they can separate one. And when they separate one from the herd... They pounce. God says, hey, you're in the body of Christ. Don't forsake the gathering. Don't forsake meeting together. The devil will pick us off. All you got to do is stop fellowshipping. Get out there on your own. Start doing your own thing. It's the first step. Get out of fellowship. Get out of the body. And you're starting to get reeled in. You don't even know. So, we all have this enemy. I mean, we have an enemy. Everybody in here is a believer. You got an enemy that hates your guts and wants to destroy your life. Period. Okay? Persecution. Jesus says, hey, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. Right? So, might as well turn to John since we're on such a happy note, right? John 15. John 15:18. Jesus is talking to his disciples. "If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world." That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also they obey yours also. All right. Woohoo! We got an adversary who wants to devour us. And then Jesus himself says, Hey, the world hates you because they hated me. And we get caught up in trying to please the world and please man. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And Jesus says, hey, 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 time out. You're going to follow me? The world hates you. Okay, it's time to do it again. How many here are hated by the world, according to Jesus? Just reach over and put your arm around something. But I love you. Go ahead. Just just do that. But I love you. Okay. Just just do that. All right, All right." we're all in this together. we're all in this right And let's just, we're in John look at John 16:33I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. who All right I got an adversary that wants to devour me. the world hates me and Jesus says I'm going to have trouble. Are you, are, you, are you getting the idea of why he says you need each other? Are we catching on that that, that God on the front end says, hey, I'm not going to candy coat it. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods and then bait and switch you. Right? Come to Jesus and all your problems are going to go away. You have so many friends. And, right? You've heard that message. And that's very appealing to the flesh. But I love scripture because it says, you come to me, you're going to be on the devil's hit list, the world's... Gonna hate you and you're gonna have trouble right these are all foundational to why fellowship is not an add-on fellowship is not something that you just kind of do out of convenience it's a need it is a need and and until we get to the idea and accept that and stop wrestling with this need that it is a need that I'm fellowshipping with the body of Christ according to God's Word you're always going to be halfway in and halfway out. It's a need. It's a need, right? And then it says in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven, we are all members of the body of Christ. And that kind of has been launching us into helping you to see it and see yourself differently. Because the word church and the word fellowship, based on your experiences, man, I'll tell you, you don't really know what you believe until you get confronted with scripture or something. Oh, that's not true. Well, that's not true. You know, and and well, uh, you know, Bill's experienced this on Wednesdays through heaven and hell. Well, I was raised, and I just always thought. And sometimes we have these deeply ingrained beliefs that we never get challenged with. We never allow ourselves to either search the scriptures or be in dialogue with somebody where we get challenged with our core beliefs, even things we don't even know we have well the word fellowship I think is one of those where we have these ingrained beliefs that fellowship means this and along comes eight weeks of Bible study and we're like ah maybe 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 that belief was wrong and why is that important because I shared with you three four years ago there's this there's this process it goes beliefs thoughts emotions and actions Right. And I said, if you want to really understand why someone does what they do, why they act a certain way, don't just try to fix their actions. You've got to go all the way back to their belief structure. And when you can figure out what someone really believes, and if it's a false belief, put it off and put on a right belief, then that right belief leads to right thoughts, which creates right emotions, which creates right actions. That's obedience. That's walking in the Spirit. And that's what we've been trying to do by walking back and spending so much time on fellowship is to say, hey, what do you really believe about fellowship and does it line up with Scripture? Because whatever doesn't line up with Scripture, you need to be willing to put off. And whatever does line up, you put it on and you begin saying, okay, Lord, this is my new belief. I'm in. I have a. I have an adversary. The world hates me. I'm going to have trouble. I'm in the body of Christ already. If you'll if you'll be willing to make those your core beliefs, you know what's going to happen. You're going to think differently about church. You're going to think differently about fellowship. You're going to have more, probably positive emotions about it. And you know what? Your actions will be different. That's a come. It's always tough in churches where they get, oh, don't do this, don't, you know, and, and they deal with the do's and don'ts list. Our heart here since day one was, we're going to teach you the Word of God. And our desire as believers is to let God examine our core beliefs. And where our core beliefs don't line up with His Word, we're willing to say, okay. Okay. I yield, diathiki, greater to lesser. I yield to your Word, Lord. I'm going to put off. I always thought fellowship was social. I always thought fellowship was optional. I always thought fellowship was something that happens over there. I was wrong. What is it, Lord? Well, here it is. Okay. That's sanctification. That's why we spend as much time as we do in the Word here. Because it goes to the heart and the belief level, right? And so we looked at these... These things that we've covered here, and, and, you know, I don't really have to go over all of them. It's pretty self-explanatory. Active versus passive. Private or isolated versus common. All of these, they kind of, you'll see the theme. Independence versus versus mutual dependence. Participant versus spectator, right? Being a getter versus a giver, right? You've heard me say this repeatedly over the last two months. But look on the back. And we're just going to look at this, and then we'll close. Shaleo so love versus agape love. Because this one, I think, hits our comfort zone a little bit. The first one there kind of can manifest itself like this. Hey, that, that OVCF, I like them. Okay, most of them, right? I like the people at church. I like going there. I like them. Common praise? I like them. But that's not fellowship. We've seen that. It doesn't end with liking, right? We saw in 1 Peter 1.22, Hey, now that you have brotherly love, saleo love, now you've got to have agape love. So, I like the people at church. That's good enough. True or false? That's false. It's not enough to be liked. Or enough to like them. Okay? You've got to love them. Agape love. The last one there. Loving others is unrelated to my Christian witness. Oh, you know, we we learn Bible verses. We might even share our faith regularly and we choose not to participate in certain activities and we carry our Bibles and we attend programs. We do all this kind of stuff. But we do not engage with the body of Christ and in fact, we gossip about each other. We backbite. We don't actively... That phrase, loving others is unrelated to my Christian witness. True or false? False, right? How do you know that? Turn to John 13 couple chapters back. John 13, what does Jesus say? 1335. We'll start in 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. All men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, how many of you want to be known as a follower of Jesus in this community? According to Jesus' words, what is the this? How are we, How is the community going to know you're a follower of Jesus? By what? Loving one another. It's not necessarily going to Libby with the bullhorn or any other things that we associate with being hardcore Christian. You get what I'm saying, right? It's not going up and down the avenue, you know, cranking Christian music really loud and... It's not necessarily t-shirts and nothing wrong with t-shirts and all this kind of stuff, slogans, bumper stickers. I'm not slamming that. But Jesus says, by this, people are going to know you're my disciple. What is the this? Love one another. Turn to the person next to you and just give them a big smile. Who is that? Who is he talking to? Okay, who is he talking to? Do this. Who is he talking about? <laughs> Wait, that one was that kind of a weird reaction. Who is he talking to? And who is he saying that I am to love? Mm. See, see here's, here's, the, here's the wonderful thing. It begins in the family. It just begins in the family of God. Nothing wrong with mission trips. Nothing wrong with evangelistic events. Nothing wrong with sharing your faith and testimony. All absolutely good if you're doing it in obedience. But Jesus says, hey, don't overcomplicate it and don't flip it. Your faith, your obedience, your testimony begins in the family. Because how many of you know it's at home where it's hardest to live your faith? Look at all the eyes. (laughs) with the people that know you. Got quiet. Right? It begins at home. It begins at home. I shared with you a letter that someone had written to a uh, to an author struggling with with their teenager who who wanted to do all this Christian stuff and go to camps and everything like that, but they were struggling cuz my daughter wants to do this and this and this is, but at home she's so disrespectful. At home she just doesn't want to do anything, doesn't want to do anything, and the answer was, well, you know, she's got to check her heart if she professes to be a believer. Because it begins at home with those that God puts in you to grow you. To grow you. How do you grow in patience? How is that? By having something to be patient about. about, Or being around people. That test your patience. How many of you ever said, Lord, how many of you have prayed for patience? Oh, I did it once, never again. <laughs> I prayed for patience and my world got turned upside down, right? Did you ever think that, that God places you in your family and even in the family of God to grow you here if you choose to engage? If you choose to agape one another, to love sacrificially, right? I shared with someone... Because as humans, one of the things that, that's challenging about agape love is if I do something for you out of agape love, what's going to be your response? You know, gonna you well, you're going to love me back. Others might just go, huh, right? You know, Sometimes we're afraid of demonstrating agape love because we're afraid of reaction or lack of positive, negative, or even no reaction, right? We get our feelings hurt. And I shared with someone recently, I said, look at agape love like this. You've got a stack of $1 bills, and you're just going to pass them out. You just want to pass them out. No strings attached. You just want to go bless people, right? And if you gave someone a dollar bill and they said, oh, no, thank you. You say, no, 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 thank you. And they gave it back to you. Would you stop giving out dollar bills? Say, okay, you're lost. You know, and you keep moving, right? See, agape love, self-sacrificial love is just giving it out with no, nothing expected in return. You're just blessing people. You're just doing things self-sacrificially. That's all it is. That's all it is. And as we do that, starting here, I mean, God's going to give you opportunity out in the community if you're available. And Jesus says, by this, this community, this valley is going to know that you're my follower. So how many of you, honestly, just at, at the initial reaction level, how many think, I like that. I can do that. I may not know a lot of verses. I may not have read a lot of scripture. This whole Christian thing might be new to me. But Jesus, if you say loving one another is a witness, I like that. How, right? And we're going to look starting next week how, how that happens. How, how does agape love occur? But just as a starting point, okay? So at the end, here it says application, right? James one twenty two says, don't be just a hearer, be a doer. How do we make this real? How do we make the last eight weeks since Easter real? just just force helps for you confess and repent of attitudes and actions that have not been in accordance with God's view of fellowship you might need to spend time this week and be real in your attitude towards fellowship your hesitancy your your, your even your your sort of like negative view of it and and let scripture That scripture shed light on those attitudes. And you need to confess. Confess means, okay, Lord, you got me. I agree. And what does repent mean? Repent is one of those churchy words which really just means you turn 180 degrees. Lord, this was my attitude of fellowship, optional. Eh, If I want to, eh, take it or leave it. To repent means, okay, I'm in the body of Christ. This is what it means. That's all it is. Okay? Real practical, prioritize meeting with the body of Christ. You want to begin fellowshipping. If it begins with loving one another, here's a clue: you gotta be here. You can't love one another if you're not here. Amen. You gotta drive the stake in the ground. You, I'm not talking just church attendance, okay? That's just, but being physically present, whether it's here, Delta groups, women's Bible study, Wednesday night. At a certain point, you have to look at your priority list. In your life, and you got to drive the stake in the ground. And you say, I am called to be in fellowship, which means I need to be physically present. Drive the stake in the ground. And begin to let other things work around it. Now, I understand there's work issues and things like come, But I'm just talking, in general, as a core priority, prioritize the body of Christ. Amen? Okay? You've got, you got to be there. Use your gifts and resources for the benefit of the body of Christ. Hopefully soon we're going to be able to to go through this thing I called shape. Right? I shared with you before. God has shaped all of you. Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experiences. Do you know your shape? Do you know your spiritual gifts? Because He gave them to you when He put you in the body of Christ to be used for the body of Christ. You may be sitting here going, I had no idea I have a gift. If you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift that you're supposed to be using for the growth of the body. Okay? So you've got to figure that out. And then let's close with 1 Corinthians 10. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That includes fellowship. Fellowship. Honor God's teachings in regard to fellowship for whose glory? His. Do it to glorify God. Engage with the body of Christ. Use your gifts. Use your talents. Love self-sacrificially. Bring an agape meal. Why? For the glory of God the glory of God. Now you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. But do it as unto the glory of God. How many of you ever thought, look at this. So whether you what? Okay, whether you what? Because you're about to do this in 10 minutes. What? Whether you... Okay. How many of you ever thought that when you're eating and drinking you could do it as unto God? You mean donuts and coffee? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, what happens is we come to church, we worship God in song and his word, and then we go over there and potentially think, ah, time for me to eat. What we got? Cindy, what kind did you pick this week? Oh, Cindy, glaze, glaze. Come on, Cindy, chocolate glaze. (laughs) And suddenly we're over there fellowshipping, and we don't even realize we can do that for the glory of God. And how can we do that for the glory of God? While we're having donuts and coffee, we're loving one another. Well, how do we love one another while we're having coffee and donuts? Uh, how is your day? How's your week? Anything I can pray for? Any, and you need anything? That's loving one another. That turns this. And that into one whole church experience. Amen? You get it? You get it? For many of you, church on Sunday begins at 7.30. Some of you, Susan, it begins at 7. And for some of you who help clean up and stuff, your church doesn't end until 10.30 or 11. Whenever you, you, you go home and help clean. It's not here and there. It's just all as one. Whatever we do, we do for the glory of God around here. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You. Thank You for teaching us what biblical fellowship is. We are all in the body of Christ. We're all pursuing holiness. We all have an enemy. We're all hated by the world. We're all going to have trouble. We all have responsibilities in the body. And Jesus, as we think about that, it can be so overwhelming, and, and yet it simply comes down to a choice. A choice to submit and obey. A choice to say, Okay, Lord, it's not just about me... Individually pursuing Jesus, but you've placed me into the church so that collectively we can pursue Jesus and collectively we can honor you and collectively we can do so much more together. And so, my prayer before we take communion is that we would make that choice a choice to engage, a choice to simply obey and submit to what your word has taught us about fellowship we are in Christ, placed into the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we confess if we have been carrying false beliefs. Beliefs that are not in accord with Scripture. And would You show us those and, and would You give us the, the power and the Holy Spirit to put those off, to repent and, and to to choose to honor what Scripture says about fellowship. And then, Lord, You say that, that it just begins with loving one another. And so would You help us to do that as a church family? To love one another as You have loved us, Jesus. And and what, what a great way Uh, through communion to be reminded of your love. A self-sacrificial love. A love that was in grace. A love that was given to undeserving people. And that's the kind of love you call us to have for one another. So, So Jesus, as we hold these cups in our hand, we're reminded of your agape love. And we ask you to Do what only you can in our hearts to empower and enable us to have that same agape love for our brothers and sisters in Christ.